Thank you, Ashley. My name is David G and I am an alcoholic and I'm very grateful for a recovery date of August 8th, 1994 in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm also an addict of many sorts and I'm very grateful for a recovery date in the SA Fellowship of October the 1st of 2019. And I'm really grateful to be here with you guys. We, we just finished up a 41-week series on the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous from the title page to 164, where we really went in depth with, with just about every sentence in the book all the way through the book. We really broke it down. We looked at what the book calls self, the identification of self, and how it works and how it exists and how it continues to exist in and through us, even without our permission. And so these are things I didn't know for a long, long time in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I just came in, the, the, the big thing seemed to be, you know, God, I got to get sober. I got to stay sober. And by the grace of God, that happened. Many years later, I'm still sitting in the rooms thinking, if I don't do this, if I don't do this, I'm going to fall out drunk tomorrow. I got to do this. I got to read more books. I got to sponsor more guys. I got to do it. It's just this mental activity that never stops within the mind. And I stayed in a lot of fear through through some of those years, mainly because of the behaviors that, that was going on in my life, but mainly because I was trying to live off of, from yesterday's miracle. And I learned that yesterday's miracle is not sufficient for today. I needed a new experience with the work. And my life just continued to spiral downward and downward. And, I, you know, even though I was going to meetings all the time, reading the book, working with others, there was still some sort of disconnect in my life. Now, I really never knew that a lot of this connected to fear until I went back through the process of the work in 2019 with a man who was sponsored by the late Don Pritz from Denver, Colorado, and that, that has become my lineage since 2019. Now, prior to that, I had a lot of good men that, that mentored me in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Charlie of Joe and Charlie was one of my very first sponsors. So I've always, always had connection uh, with men who have thoroughly studied the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. But this thing with fear seems to always come up no matter where we're at in our recovery. Either our children are going astray or our wife leaves us or we're afraid of relapse or we can't get sober and we continue to relapse over and over and over. And this just is on and on and on with these fears. And so when I came back through uh, the work in 2000, not to the fear inventory process, one of the things that I began to see is I have a lot of surface fears that really has nothing to do with the root fears of why I'm really afraid. I think there's a lot of mental anxiety that goes on and we call that fear. And so tonight I want us to take a look not only at the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, but other literature as well. Fear goes back as far as mankind can ever remember. So if you hear anything other outside of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, which you'll hardly ever hear whenever I do a workshop, but this is one that I thought definitely needed a much more in-depth look in some other literature as well. We encourage you to take what you like, leave the rest. Um, I like to say that I'm not the, the guru of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, Feel free to agree or disagree with anything I have to say about it. To me, it doesn't really matter. If your sponsor tells you something different than what I've said here tonight, your sponsor's right. You should always listen to your sponsor. But I try to stick solely to the literature and how it applies to my life and how I have used this to overcome the fears in my life that once drove me to other activities after I've been sober inside the fellowship for a long, long time. 
And so we're going to look at some examples. We're going to look at some templates that we have. Uh, Miss Ashley, I want to thank her for her endless and tireless service. She's just a beast whenever it comes to just taking care of all this stuff. And it's just amazing. I, I'm so grateful that God has put her in our circle because she takes care of so much of this without her none of this would, would be possible so ashley thank you and i'm going to ask her tonight to just kind of have the the root fear uh template on hand we're going to be looking at that in a little bit as well as some other <coughs> examples of my own inventory and there again i want to look at 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 some other literature as well so to begin, you know, with fear, we hear it all the time, you know, fear is forget everything and run or face everything and recover, or, you know, I mean, you hear all this stuff, but, but when we come to page 63, and this is talking about the third step prayer in Alcoholics Anonymous, if you have a big book and you would flip over to page 63 for just a second, and almost anybody that's been around for a while is familiar with this prayer. But one of the things I never noticed about this prayer until I went through this work in 2019 is there is no amen at the end of this prayer. To close out a prayer in the spiritual realm, you always say amen. And as I look at this closely, there is no amen here. The amen doesn't come until page 76, which ends the seventh step prayer, which says we have now completed step seven. Now, we've heard it in Alcoholics Anonymous for years. We never complete the steps. We never graduate this. And, and I believe that to be true. But our book says we have now something different than what I'm hearing in the fellowship. But what I've come to learn is there is no amen at the end of step three. And there is an amen at the end of step seven. So the body of work that I'm going to do between steps three and seven are now going to be done not only with prayer or not only with action, but prayer and action because there is no amen at this end of step three, my sponsor would tell me all the time, do it prayerfully, do it prayerfully. Did you pray? Do it prayerfully. And so, you know, everything that I did up to that point had to be done prayerfully, or he told me you're just wasting ink, you're wasting paper and a whole lot of time. In other words, self will be the one that writes the fear inventory, that mental activity that we call self that is usually brought on by trauma. It, it's, attitudes, its concepts, its beliefs, its ideas. And as you read through the first three or four chapters of the book in step one, you will see very in depth that these are the ideas that set each one of us up for failure as we went along. Now, I want to take a closer look at this self and how it manifests. And I'm going to do that through my fear inventory. So if you'll turn with me, if you have your book, to page 67, we're going to drop to the bottom paragraph on that page. And it reads like this. Notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr. Brown's, Mr. Jones, and the employer and the wife. Now, this short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. So we're going to stop right there for just a minute. It's asked us to notice the word fear bracketed alongside. So we need to walk over here and take a look at that. So if you'll hold your place with me and just flip back one page, we're going to take a look at column three, what is better known as column three. And we're gonna see how this touches about every aspect of our life. Now, if you look at the example, you see where it says self, sex relations, self-esteem, bracketed alongside of that is fear. Sex relations, self-esteem, fears. Notice how it's connected to self-esteem all the way down through here. 
except for the very last one, and it's connected to security. So where does fear come from? And our book talks about it very specifically. If you back up to page 62 for just a second, it's going to say selfish and self-centeredness. That we think is the root of our trouble. Now, see, I thought alcohol, I thought drugs, I thought lust, I thought over or under eating. I thought all of these other things was the root of my trouble. I didn't understand that it was self. So how, what drives self? Well, according to our literature here, it's driven by a hundred forms of fear. That's why I can never overcome fear is because there's always another form of it. And so as we go back to page 67, it says it's an evil and a corroding thread, the fabric of our existence with beautiful words. But what does that mean? You know, I mean, that's what I was at. What does this mean? The fabric of our existence. I don't understand this kind of language. And again, if you look back to page 65 in that example in column three, then we begin to see what the fabric of our existence is. It's sex relations, it's self-esteem, it's pride, it's security, it's a pocketbook, it's ambition, it's all of these things. See, you do something to me and I'm threatened in a certain way and I don't respond to you, I react to you and I react to you from fear. So basically, it's not what you did to me. It's how I reacted to you based on the fear that I had. That's what created the reality. And the only perception I can see is that you're wrong, I'm right, and you must pay for what you've done. Now, there's a lot of misery in that kind of perception. And I lived my life by that for many, many years. As long as I don't take any action based on emotions and thoughts that come up today, there can be no reality in that. So we're going to look at step 10 later on in, in the workshop and look at how today we can use that tool in order to stay away from the things and the reality that we created all these many years. So the first thing that I was asked to do was to make a list of fears. All of your fears, list every single one of them. Now, I'd written inventory in many ways through the years. You know, I'd written inventory on that, written inventory on that. And I would write all these fears out and I would do all this. But I was asked to bring the man back a list of fears. So some of the fears fell along these lines. Fear of God, fear of man, fear of losing a loved one. In 1995, I had a son drown when I was nine months sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. Always a big fear there that I might lose another child sometime. Always a big fear. Fear of abandonment, fear of intimacy and in relationships, rejection and loneliness, fear of authority, parents, teachers, police, boss. I spent a lot of time in jail, a lot of time in jail. Very much so that I would have a fear I might go back there again. Fear of unemployment, credit, financial room, fear of sobriety, relapse, fear of being found out. In 2019, I was exposed for behaviors that, that were killing me inside of the fellowship best thing that ever ended up happening in my life because I got recovery from that. But at the time, there was nothing enjoyable about that. Fear of people different from me, fear of conflict and confrontation, success or failure, fear of getting old or body images. Anybody suffer from that other than me? Fear of losing control, illness, germs, pains, death, change, fear of the unknown future. I mean, we could go on and on and on and talk about fear all day long. But what I would like to do is ask my friend, Miss Ashley, if she would put on our screen the 12 root fears. Now, every 
everything that I just mentioned surface fears. They're all connected to one of these 12. The first I said fear of God. Well, if I broke that down and I took a look at one of these 12, I'm probably going to see that the unknown is really what I'm afraid of. Fear of man. There it is again, the unknown. But also look at the one intimidating. Fear of losing a loved one. I talked about that with my son. Look at the very last one there, fear of death. So not only am I looking at these surface fears, I want to move them out of the way so I can get to the root of them. Because when I get to the root of them, then I can begin to heal from that. We talked about fear of rejection and loneliness. Look at rejection and abandonment. That leads the list. Fear of unemployment. That's also, you know, uh, fear of responsibility, uh, fear of success, fear of failure. So when I have a person bring back to me their entire list that they have prayerfully done, remember the word prayerfully, then we're going to go through each of these together and we're going to break these down into the root fear. And when we do that, then we're going to begin to use the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and what it asks us to do. You see, fear is an emotional response to a perceived threat or danger. Spiritually, healthy fear is, you know, fear of God. Fear of God is to worship him alone as the source of all wisdom and understanding. You know, the absence of fear of, of God is the height of foolishness that leads to destruction, destitution. We read, I mean, we read all about this. A lot of us have anyway. You know, we live our lives from a self-centered fear that seeks to meet our own perceived needs. And as the spirit reveals this foolishness, we come under the compassion and caring, you know, of, of a loving creator. Then we begin to start forgiving ourselves for some of these things <laughs> that we were blinded by. And we really begin to heal from these fears. It's a very powerful way to look at fear inventory. And so... As we take a look at this, you know, we, we really want to be thorough in looking at our fears, but we also want to be able to separate the surface fears from the root. Thank you very much, uh, Miss Ashley. So looking at some of the other literature that I look at, I don't only do the big book, but that's most definitely the one that I turn to the most. Fear is a God-given emotional response. We must have fear. I mean, if we didn't have fear, there would be no way that we could live. I mean, I, I live in Oklahoma. There's a lot of rattlesnakes in this country, and I probably wouldn't be afraid to pet one in the mouth. No worries if I didn't have fear. There's no way I'm going to do that, because if I do, I'm probably going to get bit, and I'm probably going to die. I mean, that's just foolishness. But if I'm so afraid that I won't go to the woods, or I won't go swimming with my kids at the lake because there might be a snake, Fear is no longer healthy. It has become unhealthy. And I lived by that for a long time. So it's a God-given emotional response to the awareness of danger. It just is. It's in proper perspective. And in certain situations, it has an appropriate place in all of our lives. Fear can prompt us to make decisions necessary for survival. You know, we exercise fear wisely when we warn children to avoid playing with matches or to stay away from strangers. And they will look both ways when we cross the street, you know. But when we're thinking, or when we were drinking or using or whatever we did in our addiction, fear usually played a dictatorial role in our lives. And our, our response, key words here, our response to it was more often destructive 
than constructive. Why is that? Because I'm not coming from a God-centered place. I'm coming from a self-centered place. Now, I don't know any of this. Now, I've taken on a new job, and I'm going to be doing some traveling, and I've been at this job that I'm with now for a long time, and um, there's been a lot of fear that's cropped up. It's been eight years since I've been in that field. I'm older now. I have a couple of injuries. And the other day I was riding, and all these things begin to start popping up, these thoughts. Well, now that I'm aware of the commentary and the narrative within that we call self, I begin to recognize the voice that wasn't telling me the truth. It's like we're pretty comfortable where we are. We ought to stay. I mean, this is a wonderful opportunity for me. Otherwise, I wouldn't even be considering it. But I was able to catch that commentary, and I was able to turn from that. And I was able to turn my thoughts to helping someone else. And when I did that, that fear went away. The peace come back. And I've felt that ever since. So the, back to the book, big book at the bottom of, of page 67, where it says the fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It says it set in motion trains of circumstance, which brought us misfortune. We felt we didn't deserve, but did we not ourselves set the ball rolling? But there again, I mean, what the heck does that even mean? I mean, these are all words that I'm definitely not familiar with. And I definitely never had any examples to back it up. But there's a guy that is my grand sponsor in Las Vegas, Nevada, by the name of Bob D. And Bob has done a lot of a lot of big book studies. You guys are probably familiar if you know anything about any of that. He tells the story of, of how he met a lady in Alcoholics Anonymous and they begin to date and they developed a relationship. And one of Bob's fears was that he was not good enough for this woman. And at some point in time, she was going to leave him because of who he was or what he did. He didn't have enough of this was Bob's fear. Going through this process of the, instead of going through the process of the work in the way that we do here, Bob began to rely on self to get him out of it. So she would go to the restroom. He would get into her purse, find her phone, go through, make sure she didn't have any calls from any other men. He began to stalk her house in the evening. And eventually she caught on to this. And she said, hey, you know, I mean, you're, this has got to stop. If it doesn't, then you've got to go. And so he tried to stop for a little while. But, you know, being convinced that self, you know, uh, it was better if he did what he did rather than what she wanted him to do. He continued this behavior until the day come that she left. And his mind told him, see, you wasn't good enough for her anyway. <laughs> I told you this from the beginning. So when we see it says it set in motion trains of circumstance, which brought misfortune. We felt we didn't deserve. Keyword, we felt. And we know that the self is made up of feelings, ideas, concepts, beliefs, and attitudes. You'll hear me say that over and over and over in these workshops. But look at the last sentence on 67. But did we ourselves not set the ball rolling? Of course he did. And if we look at our fears, usually if I'm afraid of losing a job, if I'm doing something dishonest, which I have not been above that, don't get me wrong, just because I've gotten sober. If I'm afraid that I'm going to lose my job and I'm unable to stop doing whatever I'm doing, stealing or taking or doing whatever, you know, and the day comes that I get caught, I lose my job. Then that's on me. So. I'm the one who set that ball rolling. 
Look at the top of page 68. It says this, we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. Well, what does it steal? For one thing, it steals my joy. It steals my happiness. It steals my contentment. It makes me feel like I'm disconnected from God. It just on and on and on. So I would like to just take a second to look at a reader, an author that, that, I, that I love to read a lot. It's a man that many of you may be familiar with, a man named Eckhart Tolle. Now, Eckhart had an amazing spiritual experience. I mean, it's just one that was brought on. It seems that all spiritual experience and enlightened beings have had the, the same common denominator, suffering, like many of us. And this is what he says about the origin of fear. He says, the psychological condition of fear is divorced from any concrete, true, immediate danger. It comes in many forms. There's one, unease. Anybody ever feel unease sometimes just for no reason? What about worry? What about anxiety? See, this has nothing to do with drinking. It has, this, this usually happens to me when I'm sober. Nervousness, tension, dread, phobias. He says, this kind of psychological fear is always something that might happen. If you ever notice about fear, it hasn't happened yet. It's always going to happen or it will happen at some point, but it hasn't happened yet. My sponsor said to me like this, David, one day you will quit suffering from things that haven't happened to you yet. And I tell you, it has taken a long time for me to get my mind wrapped around that. But today, if I'm afraid, if I take a close look at fear, it's usually because I'm afraid of something that's going to happen, just like with a job. It's, you're older now. There's been a couple of injuries. I mean, yada, yada. That's how I, I determined that it was not the voice of God talking to me. It was the voice of self, and it was coming to me in fear. So Eckhart says, you are in the here and now while your mind is in the future. Well, this is obviously true. This creates an anxiety gap. My sponsor told me it's just mental anxiety, David. We call it fear, but it's mental anxiety. And it says, if you are identified with your mind and the big book calls this self, you have lost touch with the power and simplicity of the now. And that's what brings us to fear. That anxiety gap will be your constant companion. You, will, you can always cope with the present moment. You just can't. But you cannot cope with something that is only a mind projection. You cannot cope with the future. So if you're afraid of something that hasn't happened yet, many of us have children that are on this call tonight. My son was addicted to heroin. Our other son was addicted to opioids of all kinds. And I was scared to death these boys were going to die. I was just scared to death of that. And a little lady who I love very much who passed away just this past week, actually. One of the things that she said to me, she was a very long-term member of Al-Anon and various other programs. She said to me, David, you need to pray. And I said, I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm tired of praying because everything I'm asking for doesn't seem to be happening for me. And so her response was, you need to quit asking. You need to start thanking God. God, thank you that these boys are alive today. Thank you that they have an opportunity of recovery through your example and the example of many others. Thank you, God, that even though it's cold tonight, 
they'll find a way to stay warm. They're addicts, I promise you, they're going to find a way. And as I began to do that, it really began to ease the fear. It didn't quite take it away. But see, here was my prayer. I kept praying, God, take this fear away, take this fear away, take this away. What I wasn't asking was for God to help me walk through the fear. So that when it finally did go away, then I would have something to share with my fellow man. Now, if he would just remove that, and obviously he could, God has all power. I have no doubt about that. Then my experience would have been limited in what I could have shared. I'd have just prayed, well, just pray to God, you know, and, and everything will be okay. That doesn't seem to happen that way for a lot of us. <clears throat> I want to share from another book with you. And I want to read about the only thing that I've ever found in my life that will heal fear. And that's called love. Now, my idea of love and what love really is, was two different ways of looking at love. But see, real love brings security into our life. Not fear, not dread, not phobia, not the things that Eckhart was talking about. For many of us, feelings of insecurity and feelings is going to be the key word that we're looking for here. Remember, the self is made up of ideas, concepts, feelings, attitudes, beliefs, false beliefs. Feelings of insecurity contribute to the power of our dependency. Isn't it amazing? The more afraid I am, the more that I want to use something else to try to get out of that fear. Or I want to try to manipulate, or I want to use lust, or I want to use food, or whatever it may be to try to get away from that. And the further I try to get away from it, the closer I get to it, because really what I'm doing is I'm relying on self, and I don't even know this is happening. It says, believing that love can bring lasting security may be hard for those of us who have been abandoned. Now, a lot of us have been abandoned as, ch as children. I know I was emotionally, mentally, physically, all of that. Maybe someone uh, we love betrayed our, our trust. Perhaps someone turned away from us when we betrayed theirs. It could be that someone we needed died, leaving us permanently. But remember the creator promised this, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Remember that promise. And for me, that was just, you know, it used to just be words. I didn't really care about that. But when I read the Holy Scriptures now, and I have a better understanding of who's reading it, because it's spirit, I'm reading it from spirit, not from self then I have a better way of understanding what the Messiah, the great teacher, is trying to say here. He says, we may ask, how can I trust in God's love when it feels like all I've ever known is love that disappoints? Thank God for step four inventory in Alcoholics Anonymous. We're going to take a look at a process here in just a few minutes that can absolutely turn our thinking, turn our lives, turn, transform us. As the apostle once said, be ye there transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, this is what happens to us as a result of this process. You see, it's not, I didn't find out who I was through this process. I found out who I was not. I found out who I'd become based on a narrative that was given to me by self. And as that began to die and burn away, a new man emerged from those ashes. And the man that took was not the same man that took the last seven. I walked a new creature away from that situation. And so it says, <clears throat> God showed, you know, how much he loved us through many situations. Uh, 
but the one that loved us, and, and as we read, you know, in the Holy Scriptures, and there again, I'm using other stuff, take what you like, read the leave the rest, you know. You know, he knows how weak we are. He remembers that, that we're only dust, the wind blows, and we are gone, but the love of God remains forever with those who fear him, and that's what the psalmist had to say about it. God's love is unconditional, and it's always waiting for us to turn our life over to God. Now, remember, this is part of our third step. We made a decision to turn our will in our lives. They tell us our will is our thinking, our lives is our action. But notice how it says we're not giving anything to God. We're turning it over to the care of God. The boy that drowned in 95, if I brought him to you, I would expect you to take care of him until I could come back to do that. That's the same thing that happens in this process. By the time that we get to page 85, through this process of the work in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it tells us we can use our willpower along these lines, being God-centered all we wish. That's the proper use of the will. That's the proper use of the thought system. And so it's a very powerful. Some of the other things is no matter how terrible our past has been, we can make changes for the better in our mind, body, and spirit. We just can by going through this process. Some of us may have come to the conclusion that we just can't change. Anybody other than me ever feel that way, even after being sober for a long time? But if we're willing to place our lives in God's hand, there's always hope for positive change and a bright future. One of the apostles of the scriptures wrote, he said this, now may the God of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless until the day of the great Messiah, the Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. So how do I contact this power? Obviously, this is the solution. These are all beautiful words. How do I make contact with this power? For me, it's, it's happened right back here in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, where we left off on page 68. We reviewed our fears thoroughly. In other words, bring me a list of fears. Prayerfully sit down and bring every fear to the table you got. Now, if you're a tough guy like me, I've been to jail, I've done this, I've all this you mess with me i'll kill you uh, you know i mean i'm not afraid of anything come to find out i'm afraid of everything everything even a little baby about that big I can't, i'm afraid to hold him because i might break him or i might hurt him i'm afraid it says we're going to put them on paper even though we have no resentment in connection with them that's our very first thing we're going to ask ourselves this question why do we have Answer why am I a smoker? That might be a good reason why. You know, I, I, I take a look at all of the fears and then we begin to start breaking them down in this manner. We ask ourselves why we had them. But look at this question, wasn't it because self reliance failed us? Look at the little s in front of self. We're talking about a system of thought, a mental activity that perceives and it comes at us through all these fearful ways. This is self. And if you take the word self-reliance and you turn that around, it's called reliance on self. <laughs> and that's what it is. That's why I write this inventory, because I want to see how self-reliance has failed me. Self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence and it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. When it made us cocky, it was worse because that brings on more fear. So perhaps there's a better way we think so. For now, we're on a different basis, the basis of trust and relying upon God. If we have done these first three steps, 
and we have moved through this resentment inventory, we really begin to feel the power of something beginning to shift on the inside of us. We're starting to have an experience. It says we trust infinite God rather than our finite selves with a small s. It's always been the other way around. Always, I always trusted and relied upon my ideas or you or someone else to try to get me out of this. Now, it says we are in the world to play the role he assigns. That's never been me. I always assign the roles. My wife, my mom, my children, my this, my this, my brothers and sisters in recovery, my, 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 my. I, I have a different outlook on that now. It's not my mom. I'm her son. I need to behave as her son. It's not my wife. It's I'm her husband. I need to behave as her husband. You know, as long as I make titles on all this stuff, then I'm still relying up on self. And I don't even know this is going on. This is just to the extent that we do as he think that he would have us and humbly rely on him. Does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? We never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. For many years, I was very ashamed to even bring up the word Jesus Christ. I just would not bring that up. For one thing, I didn't fully believe in it for so long. But when I did a spiritual terms exercise on page 47 of this book, I can tell you that changed. And it wasn't because he changed. And it wasn't any of that. What happened was, and it was never him, it's how they presented him to me that's what i couldn't accept and as a result of that I, I imagine like it says in we agnostics that i had abandoned the god idea entirely so i let that go well here's we never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator and today i don't we can laugh at those who think spirituality a way of weakness I'm a man who has used the 12 steps to overcome many addiction through the grace of God. That is my spirituality. Anybody that thinks that's weak, it's definitely a smile. Because there was a day I didn't laugh about that. I bust her head with a tire fill. You know? And so the verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people. I, I sponsor a lot of Buddhist monks. I love their practices. Man, these guys have taught me to meditate. I, I sponsor Hindus and, and Islamics and all of this. And I tell you, I get so much. I tell, I ask them, as outlined on page 90 of our book, it says, learn about their faith. Ask them about their faith tradition. And I want to take what I can use from that. And I want to leave the rest behind. And that's why I encourage you to do the same with me. And this, this is a way of taking a look at our fears in depth seeing that they were created in, in that thought system by self. And as long as I don't take any action based on that thought, it's going to just be a thought. There's about 16,000 thoughts that roll through the human mind every day. The one that I hitch a horse to that buggy, those are the ones that create a reality. The ones that I don't, they seem to go by the wayside. So let's take a look at this. Paradoxically, it's the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. What's the opposite of faith? It's fear. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. They never apologize for God. Instead, they let him demonstrate through us what he can do. Now, there's a difference between coming over on here and talking to you about fear and demonstrating that to you in daily life. 
and working with the guys that I work with that have some very real fears going on in their life, but being able to walk them through this process and see that begin to slip away. That's a beautiful thing. But in order to do that, it's more than me just asking God to remove that. It's walking through that. So if I've taken step three, no amen at the end of it. I've prayerfully looked at resentments. See, I don't call them my resentments anymore. A guy once said to me, David, you know why you can't get your ducks in a row? I said, no. He said, they're not your ducks. He said, you know why you can never overcome your resentments? He said, they're not your resentments. They come from self. Do you identify and attach yourself with self? I said, no, not anymore. Same way with fear. They're not my fears. They're fears. They come from self. So I'm going to take a look at them. God is either everything or fear is. We can't serve both. What's our choice to be here? When I came through this process, as I said above, I looked at the 12 root fears that Ashley put up there just a few minutes ago, and I began to write everything that I do or that I did when I would get afraid. What would I do? If I was about to get caught, I would run home and humble myself and I would do this and I would stay away from that meeting or this meeting or wherever any of that might be just long enough to let, you know, the heat blow over. And then there I would go again. Well, I really wasn't doing anything to overcome fear. I was just avoiding the dangers of getting caught. And that went on for a long time. <clears throat> so once we've done that, there seems to be another way that we can look at fear for those of us who have been around here for a long time. And this is what I want to look at tonight and what I did prior to coming into this work in 2019. I was working with a young lady uh, some time ago and really, really sick and, and really messed up with fears. And one of the things that I shared was my experience on that. And I don't even remember how long ago because I haven't done work like that in forever. And so one of the things that I want to do is, and Ashley, if you will pull this up on the screen, I wanna take a look at a four column inventory that goes across and it's gonna help us to take a better look at this now that we've been sober for a while first column i want to look at what is the fear look at the top of page 68 we revere viewed our fears thoroughly we put them on paper even though we had no resentment and connection with them look at column two why do i have this fear look at look at the book we ask ourselves why we have them look at column three in our template example there did self-reliance fail me? Now, I just don't want to write yes or no here. I want to give some prayerfully give some bullet points of how self-reliance failed me. And the one way that I can do this is I can ask myself, what do I do or what did I do when I get into this type of fear? Do I isolate? Do I attack? Do I bully? Do I run away? What do I do? Do I eat a lot? Do I, you know, I mean, what do I do? Do I fall into lust? Do I lie? Do I get deceitful? Do I get dishonest? What do I do? And once I start looking at that, it becomes very clear to me 
how self-reliance failed me. If I just answer yes or no, that'll slip right by my ego and it'll be gone in the wind. I won't even remember it. But look at the very last column. And we're going to call this, what would God have me be? Now, people say, David, you know, I mean, where do you get all this from? Well, if you'll look at the prayer, and that's where we dropped off on page 68, it says this. We ask him. Anytime I see those words in the big book, we ask. That's a prayer. Him, capital H, to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be, not what he would have us do. Now, I think that if you're like me, that's where so many of us get fouled up as we begin to try to do something to get away from fear. I really don't have to do anything, but I have to be everything. I have to be still. I have to be. So what I'm going to do is ask Miss Ashley to put an example of this on the screen. <clears throat> and we're going to take a look. This was some of mine. And this started with the new job. Prayerfully, I sit down, okay, what do I fear? Well, I'm afraid to start this new job next week. Why do I have the fear? This is what my mind told me. Now, notice how self talks to us. I'm getting older. I've had a couple of injuries since I did this line of work. I'm uncertain about the responsibilities that are required. Did self-reliance fail me? I could have just answered that yes there. But let's take a look at how the mind talks. Here was my response. I'll just go back and I'll start out as a supervisor and others will do the heavy work and I'm not going to worry about being too old. We got this covered. And that's kind of how my mind works. And I start setting up a plan and taking action based on that plan. And the next thing you know, I'm walking away from God and closer to me and my ideas of how to get rid of fear. And I end up in more than I ever had. But notice what the prayer said. Look at the prayer. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have me be. What would he have me be? Well, he would have me leave the results to him. If you'll look at my last column, rather than make plans to put work off onto others, I will do things to the best of my ability and I will ask for help. I will be more trusting of him. That's what he would have me to be. Now look at the prayer in the book. We ask him to remove our fear. Obviously, that's in column one. If you look at my column one, I'm going to ask him to remove the fear of me being afraid to start this new job next week. What would he have me to be? He would have me to leave the results to him. And rather than make plans to put it on others, I'll do it myself and I'll be more trusting of it. That's what he would have me to be. Now, I'm going to add something to this. I'm going to add thank you. This is my prayer work to go just a little bit deeper with the prayer that's outlined here on page 67. Our prayer will go something like this, focused and only on the fourth column. That's gonna remove the other three. The fear is gonna to begin to fall away from me. It's gonna be replaced, maybe not with complete faith, but with ideas of how I can better serve God and my fellow man and not try to get away with everything that I've got planned. One, thank you that I will relieve, leave the results to you, God. Notice the very first sentence in column four. 
Thank you that rather than making plans to put work on others, that I will do things myself. Thank you that I will be more trusting of him. Like my Al-Anon mommy always said, David, don't ask anymore. Only thanking. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Look at the next one. I'll give one more example. And most of us have this fear, fear of relapse. Why do I have that fear? Because my experience showed that that's what always happened. Whether I was drinking, drugging, lusting, whatever it was, that always happened. Was it because self-reliance failed me? Well, I could say just yes and move on. But if I prayerfully take a look at this, it's yes. My head tells me, self tells me, make more meetings, read more books, sponsor more guys, listen more speakers. You know, my mind will tell me, man, you can't even go by a beach anymore. You can't even walk by a bar anymore. I mean, it's just on and on and on with all of this stuff in my head. I look at what I'm going to do into what he would have me to be, which is in our prayer on, on page 67 of our book. I will stand today. He would have me stay in today. He would have me listen to people in the fellowship who are truly living by the program and not just talking about it. it seems like those are the one that self wants me to attract to. He would have me thank him for his protection and care and my sobriety every day. That's what he would have me to be instead of being afraid of relapsing. Take care of my spiritual health. Do these things that are asked for us to do. Make the meetings that I'm, I'm asked to make that are really talking about recovery. <clears throat> well, my prayer becomes thank you. Look at my last column. Thank you. I will stand today. Thank you. I will listen to the people in the fellowship who are truly living by the program and not just talking about it. And thank you. And I thank you, God, for your protection and care in my sobriety every day. And if I will come at that from this angle, I promise you, whatever the fear may be, it begins to slip away because I'm no longer giving it my attention in column one. I'm giving it all of my attention in column four. Look at our prayer again on page 68 of the big book. Almost to the last paragraph. We ask him to remove our fear, column one. And he would have us be column four. Nothing about columns one and two there. They don't exist anymore. Either is column one because I'm asking for that to be removed. Now I'm focused on what he would have me be. Look at this beautiful promise, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. At once, not after a while, not after I go to a few meetings, if I will do this, not only ask for it to be removed, but start thanking him in the ways that he would have me be once I see this, it's automatically going to be removed because I'm not afraid of something that hasn't happened yet. Why am I afraid of relapsing? I haven't drank and drug in almost 29 years. I haven't lusted and acting out in, in almost four years. Why am I afraid of relapse? Why would my mind bring that to me? You're, you're going to relapse. Or a job next week that I haven't even started. That's next week. That's not today. But my mind is wanting to go over here and try to put in ideas of how I'm going to get out of this before I even get to it. That really doesn't even make sense to me. So... <clears throat> No matter how terrible our past has been, we can make changes for the better in our mind, body, and spirit. Beautiful, beautiful words. Faith. We talk about faith being the antidote to fear. Our addiction interferes with our ability to win the race of life. Many of us feel like a loser who has just dropped out of the race. 
but faith in God can give us the motivation to run the race with a real chance of winning life's rewards. As I look at these fears and I begin to direct my attention to what he would have me be, I'm no longer afraid of all this stuff anymore. I mean, that's starting to slip away. It's not, it's not present anymore. Now I want to focus more on how I can come into closer contact with this power. So it's kind of like the hall of faith. <laughs> so it mentions a long list of people whose lives, you know, were used by God because of their faith. Whenever I read these certain books, you know, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowds of witnesses of life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially, you know, to the defects that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And that's scriptural. But of course, we see that in the men and women who have overcome fear through what we do here. It's a powerful, powerful way to look at fear. Now, once we've moved through this process and we begin to um, identify these fears now, we see them when they come up. One of the books that I read says like this, this course does not aim at teaching the meaning of love for that is beyond what can be taught. It does aim, however, at removing the blocks to awareness of love's presence. And one of those is most definitely fear. Love's presence is my natural inheritance. It just is. The opposite of love is fear. But what is all encompassing, I can't even say it, has no, have no opposite. So really, the book breaks it down like this. Nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. Very powerful words to live by. One of the other books that I read <clears throat> talks about God being love is also happiness. Happiness is an attribute of love. It cannot be apart from it. See, I, I always think that it's something different. My happiness is found in drugs. It's found in alcohol. It's found in all the other things that I do. Even in recovery, I go to meetings and it's all this wonderful stuff, but nobody seems to really be having a spiritual experience with spirit. We're a little bit we were, but it's not what it could be. Love has no limits being everywhere, and therefore joy is everywhere as well. Yet can the mind deny this is so, believing there are gaps in loves where defects can enter and bring pain instead of joy? This strange belief, and I think that's what it is, a strange belief would limit happiness by redefining love as limited and introducing opposition, which has no limit. So fear is associated then with love and its results become heritage, a heritage of the mind that thinks what they have made it is real. These images with no reality, and that's what self does, it brings all of these ideas into my mind. And as long as I let them go, there are no big deals here. But the moment I stop and begin to visit with some of these, so to speak, you can bet they're about to become into a reality. And that's what this is saying. It says these images with no reality and truth bear witness to the fear of God, forgetting being loved. He must be joy. This basic error, we will try again to bring the truth today to teach ourselves. And this will be my prayer. God being love is also happiness. To fear him is to be afraid of joy. God being love is also happiness, and it is happiness that I seek today. I cannot fail because I seek the truth. And so 
one of the last things that I would like to share about here before we move into Q&A or experience strength and hope from those who have actually done the work is our 10th suggestion in the Alcoholics Anonymous book, which is found on page 84. And if you have this, have your book, if you will take a look at page 84 in our big book, there are really five things that it's gonna ask us to do on a daily basis. I'm a little more aware of the activity that goes on in the mind now. So I'm gonna begin to watch this a little closer as it comes up. Now we call it spotting the thought. We call it watching our thoughts. But this is what we do now that we're aware of the self. We definitely wanna pay attention because if we don't, it's very sneaky and it'll come back and get us. And we know it can even slip by, even when we are watching. <clears throat> if you'll join me in the middle of the book, it says, this thought brings us to step 10. Obviously, what thought? What thought are we talking about? Well, obviously, the thought of working the first nine, as they're outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, through this work, through this process, that brings us to 10 which suggests that we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. See, it's not just about running around saying, I'm sorry all day anymore. Now we vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. As we clean up the past in the first nine steps outlined in the first 83 pages of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, we should have vigorously commenced this way of living from the start. A good sponsor that finally set me down and said, you'll start with step 10 today. You'll watch thoughts as best you can. You're undisciplined. And I know you don't know how to do this, but you're going to do this. And when you do this, I'm going to take you back to the front of the book. And as we read through the front of the book and we stop and work the steps as they're outlined in the book, I want you watching these thoughts every single day. I cannot express enough. He tells me, watch your thoughts, watch your thoughts, watch your thoughts. It says we have entered the world of the spirit. That means self has taking a back seat. Our next function is to grow an understanding effectiveness of what? Of the spirit. I can't do that if I'm not watching my thoughts. If I'm not watching my thoughts, they're watching me. And they're going to throw a scenario at me. I'm going to take action based on that. And the next thing you know, I'm going to create a reality that's very destructive, even not meaning to. And I think, oh my God, how'd that ever happen to me? <laughs> how did it not? <clears throat> This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. That tells us how long we're going to be doing step 10. So if you have your pen with you, I would encourage you to write the number one above this next sentence. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment. Keyword here, fear. Notice how fear is at the back. It's driving all of it. And as sex addicts, we add the word lust. Number two, when these crop up, not if, when, they're coming. We ask God at once, we circle the word once to remove them. Right, number three above this next sentence, we discuss them, circle this word immediately. And number four, make amends quickly. Circle the word quickly. Now notice how he's saying at once, immediately, quickly. He's saying you better get on top of these thoughts. You better. 
Because if you don't, they're fixing to get all over the top of you. You're going to take action based on them and you're going to create a reality that leads you right back into whatever addiction you're a part of and maybe some beyond. <clears throat> Number five, and to me, probably the most important one of the whole deal. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts, see, our thoughts. That's where it's at. That's where self's at to someone we can help. I give this example. A lot of my guys are on here tonight that, that, that have heard me say this. And, it, and we say it like this. I have a boss that lives in Kansas and I'm in Oklahoma about 300 miles away. We got into a heated argument over the phone one day. I started back, I, you know, I recognized it quick. Resentment was coming. I backed away from that argument for just a minute. I said, I'll call you back. I went through this five formula process right here. I get to this part. We resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. It's, it's awesome if you can help someone, but that's really not what it's asking us to do here. It's asking us to turn our thoughts to someone we can help here. Big difference in the way that's worded. Now, my thoughts, I started turning to him to wash and wax his car, to clean it up, fill it up so he and his family could go on a nice vacation. Now, whether he lived one mile away from me or 300 miles away from me, the chances of me ever doing that are slim to none. I'm not going to wash his damn car. There's just no way. But I don't have to do that. All I have to do is turn my thoughts to doing that for him. And when I did, it took the sting out of that resentment. It put me back into connection with power. And when that happened, I was able to call him back and have a conversation that didn't lead to an amends. And didn't get very ugly and make things a lot harder on me for my job. So five things here it's asking us to do. And if you circled and wrote these down, one through five, here's what it's asking us to do. One, watch. Two, ask. Three, discuss. Four, apologize or make amends. Five, turn your thoughts. And if we'll do that, every time fear comes up, resentment, self-lust, whatever it may be, if we will do those things right there, I promise you emotional recovery will look so much different than it ever has before because now those things aren't dominating our life. We are connected to a new power because if you read the bottom of the book, it says we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, even fear, even lust, drugs, sex, whatever it may be. By this time, sanity will have returned. Greatest promise in the book, probably, because that was our promise all the way back in step two, that this power could and would restore us to sanity if we did certain things. We'll seldom be interested in liquor, lust, whatever it may be. If we're tempted, we recall as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally that we will find this has happened automatically. I didn't do anything. That just happened. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor, lust, or whatever it may be, is it's, it's given us. It's a gift. Without any thought or effort on our part, it just comes. We're not fighting it. It says we feel as though we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. See, I didn't place myself there. As a result of becoming willing and doing this process of the work, I was placed in that position. And see, it doesn't place me in that position to take me away from lust or drugs or alcohol or nothing. What it does is it puts me in a position of neutrality and takes away the drive that drives me to do that stuff. That's what I'm being protected from, fear, anger worry, remorse, selfishness, dishonesty, inconsideration, all of these things, that's what it's taking me away from. And it has driven my mind in a different direction 
And now I can see by staying up with this on a daily basis that I don't have to fall into those old temptations again. To see to come, come in here and to say that, you know, I've recovered from alcohol and drugs, that don't impress me too much. All you need to do is not drink it, just stay sober or whatever it is you do. If you want to be sober, just do that. But if you want to recover emotionally from the things that drive you to do that, resentment, selfishness, dishonesty, big one, fear, all of it driven by fear, then there's some work we're going to have to do. There's only one requirement to enter into the fellowship, and that's the desire to stop drinking or using or whatever it may be. There's a much different requirement to enter into the fellowship of the spirit. We must be convinced that self manifests in various ways. That is what has defeated us. And we must take these actions along these lines in order to recover from that. Once I recover from that, and hell, that doesn't exist there. That's far beyond a belief. That's being connected back to the power. And that never lived there to begin with. So it's been a great, incredible journey. I continue to learn more as I go. There's so many people on here that have been through this process of the work. And I'm just so, I'm so thankful for them. The people in my life that, that are here that I've been able to take through this process of the work and help them to have a new experience. Most of them have been sober for a long time. I come to learn and accept just recently. That my message just isn't necessarily for the new man that walks in the door with whiskey on his breath or, or needle tracks in his arm anymore. As, as wonderful as that is, when I get that opportunity, most of the people that I'm able to help today are the people that have been sitting inside these rooms for a long time needing a new experience, but are too afraid to ask. What will God, what will they think of me? Oh my God, I can't open up about that. Oh my God. That damn near drove me to my grave, destroyed my family, everything. 25 years sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous as an active member and dying inside of the fellowship, dying. Thank God that self led me to where it did because now the power that I have through the directions is outlined in the, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Fear no longer dominates my life. Love does, love does. And I fell at it quite often, don't get me wrong. When I say love, I'm just, you know, I, I, I fall short of that all the time, but I tell you, I've been given the power to recover. I'll end with one last thing on page 132 of the book, and some of you already know where I'm going with this, but if you'll turn to one page 132 of the book, and we're going to drop to the second to the last paragraph, it says this, so we think cheerfulness and laughter make for usefulness. Outsiders are sometimes shocked when we burst into merriment over a seemingly tragic experience out of the past, but why shouldn't we laugh? We have recovered, not recovering. We have recovered, not from alcohol, drugs, lust, and sex, and all that crap, food. We've recovered from a hopeless state of mind that drove us to do all that to begin with. We have recovered, and we've been given the power to help others. You'll hear it in the fellowship all the time. You don't have the power to do that. Yes, I do. I've been given this power. It is a gift. What I do with it determines whether or not I get to keep it, but it is very much a gift, and it is mine. So I'm grateful to be here. I'm glad we did this workshop, and uh, thank you all so much for coming out. Thanks, Ashley, for your service. This concludes David's share on tonight's chapter, but we encourage you to keep listening as he answers questions from the audience and shares additional experience, strength, and hope. And I want to thank you, David. This has been very insightful uh, for me, and I do want to be a part of future um, workshops. 
And I, uh, back in August, I, my daughter had a really bad accident and uh, she was in ICU and uh, it wasn't, um, we weren't sure if she was going to live or if she was going to be able to continue life without assistance. And I, um, I went back to, she's an organ, I'm in California and I left the hospital and I went back to my hotel and that was the inventory that I went straight to as a fear inventory because I had fears of, you know, will I be able to help her? What, what if she needs 24 hour care? What, you know, I had a lot of fears. Will she live? And um, I didn't do it in a four column, um, but I did definitely do it in a three column. And I, and I will say from experience that it helped me immensely not that the fears were completely gone, but it it sure helped me to think on a higher plane to go back to the hospital the next day. So I just want to share that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your experience, strength, and hope, and definitely prayers for you and your family and your daughter. And thank you so much for being here. We actually received a question in the chat. Um, about some of the books that you were sharing from, David. Um, I knew one was the course, but would you mind just um, refreshing everybody on some of the other literature that you read from tonight? Yeah, absolutely. Of course, always, first and foremost, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I read a lot from The Course in Miracles, uh, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Also, I do a lot of Emmett Fox uh, and also, you know, the Holy Bible. Uh, you know, I try to stay away from, you know, getting too much into any of that kind of talk or stuff like that, but I do read it with a different set of eyes. So a lot of those books were books that I was pulling from tonight. As we do other workshops, I will continue to pull from different and other books. Uh, man, I have a long list of them that I could talk about here tonight, but um, that was just a few. Thank you. Um, just got another question. What is David's home group in Oklahoma? Well, formerly it was the Broken Bottle Group of Alcoholics Anonymous here in Oklahoma. Unfortunately, in 2019, because of conduct issues, I, I left that group. Um, I am, my home group now is the Freedom Seekers Group. It's a group of men, of international uh, men that, that meet virtually and uh, from all parts of the world. And we, we do this work thoroughly and we are, we are all connected in that way. So today it is the, uh, the Freedom Seekers Group. My question is, uh, when it comes to situations when I have to make a decision, um, and my uh, my mind is very um, tricky, and I, I sometimes I don't know if what what God wants me to be, is that God or is that my fear? Uh, what I need to do in a situation, I run into that problem a lot. So what, what do you have any guidance on that? <clears throat> well, thank you so much, Miss Iris, Iris, for your question. And it took me a long time, uh, a lot of mental beatings <laughs> before I really began to practice what is outlined on page 87 of our book. I don't know if you have your book there with you of Alcoholics Anonymous, but if you will drop to the bottom of that, there's really a direction there for, for the question you're asking. And it says, you know, as we go through our day, we, we pause when agitated or doubtful. I think in the pause, 
once I can learn to do this and it just doesn't come natural. I have to practice at any, at everything. Um, and ask, and anytime I see those two words or that one word for sure, ask, that means prayer. So in that moment, in that split second, I need to ask for this, the right thought or action and notice what order they come in thought, then action. I used to always take action and then ask man, why didn't I, <laughs> but, um, to answer your question that, that, that is the practice that I use in those moments when I'm not real sure of what to do or what I should do. I don't really have time to stop and make a call to my sponsor or somebody else in the fellowship. I need to make a decision right then. I usually, uh, I most definitely go to that. And then I usually leave the results up to uh, my creator. So I, I hope that answers your question. Thank you. I'm a, a member of multiple fellowships. Um, my, I have a question. I have done the theory of inquiry through the big book. But I have a question. What was the fifth suggestion by David after watch, ask, discuss, apologize, make amends? Turn your thoughts to someone who can help. I've always heard, you know, running and helping others. And you're, what is the difference? Because what I heard you saying was turning our thoughts and not necessarily, because running and helping others for me to be codependent. <laughs> well, I think it's a very good thing if we can help others. Uh, if I'm put in that position or if I'm in that position to do that, I'm going to do that. But the book's not asking us to do that. It's asking us to turn our thoughts to someone we can help. And that's much different because if I'm not, once I turn my thoughts to helping them, that takes me out of self which is the thought that was prior coming at me. And this has become my remedy for staying away from things that, that bring destruction to me. Because if I take action based on whatever thought I had previous, it's probably not going to turn out very good. <laughs> and so turning our thoughts to someone we can help. Now I had a guy that I sponsored in, in Kansas one time and, and he would send me this in a 10th step and he would say, you know, I've, I've spotted lust or anger or whatever it was. And he said, I've asked God to remove this. Now I'm turning my thoughts to feeding the homeless man. I'm turning my thoughts to painting someone's fence. I'm turning my thoughts to mowing someone's. He was constantly turning his thoughts, even though he wasn't in a position to do anything because he was at work at the time. He was doing what the book asked by turning his thoughts to doing that. And as a result, it took him out of the resentment, fear, whatever he was in at the time. And that is the power that we've been given here to turn our thoughts now rather than act on them. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you. Uh, yes, it does, because I needed <clears throat> an example. Um, I did the fears. Um, I, want, I want to say I'm really. I did the fears through the Hyannis Facebook method, but it didn't really take me where I needed to be. I mean, I'm I'm on ending my fourth step looking for a fifth step receiver. And what I saw on the pages of my inventory was all fear, everything driven by fear. Fear from trauma, mostly, um, and fear that I just couldn't control. And after listening to your, I wrote down your examples, I wrote a script and I really am so glad that I, you know, I. I went through what I went through and how I wrote it, but your your examples are much simpler. And what I learned about writing is this, don't worship the method. 
the method is what kept me sick. The method is the perfectionism. It's the method is the tool that God uses or the higher power to get me to have a relationship with God, which I don't have yet because I'm afraid of it. So I hope you guys are going to do more workshops. Uh, this really helps simplify it for me. Um, it doesn't have to be um, a dissertation, the fourth step I passed. Thank you for sharing what you just shared, because I say all the time, sometimes we focus more on the menu than we do the meal. And what I mean by that is we get so hung up by the mechanics of going through the book that we forget to practice the principles behind it. So when I write the fear, the cause, how self-reliance failed me and what God would have me to be, and I'm actually honestly practicing that daily, then I become more fulfilled from the meal rather than worrying about the mechanics of it or if I did it right. So thank you for saying that because you're absolutely right. We focus on the meal, not the menu here. Thank you. Thank you. And if I may just add one bit of experience based on what you were saying, I too was given the uh, go out and help somebody before this process. Uh, but there's many times uh, I share on a lot of meetings, I chair a lot of meetings, that fear of projection will come on me and coming to share. I promise you, I cannot physically help somebody right now sitting in this room, but what I can do is pause and turn my thoughts and think of somebody else. So that is what has tremendously helped me um, in inventorying my fears. I didn't use the entire menu because I didn't know the entire menu. <laughs> But I think I got into the spirit of what David's been talking about. I have like four or five major top fears that include <sighs> needles, blood, hospitals, cancer, and kind of in that vein. I almost didn't get married because I refused to get a blood test. That's how terrified I was. We found a way around it, around the law, we did get married. But about four years ago, I was diagnosed with melanoma. I made the mistake of Googling it and the word death came up a lot. And uh, I looked up and I said, God, you gotta be kidding. You've got like my big five happening here. We've got cancer, we've got hospitals, blood, needles, what have you. But I was working program long enough to know the fear could take me out faster than the melanoma. So I contacted what I call God with skin on them. There's many people work in a program seriously. And I said, you got to pray for me here because my fears are going to kill me. I really got that. And when I prayed, I asked God to change my mind. <laughs> I knew it wasn't about the cancer. It was about what I was thinking. Uh -huh. And it was about something that hadn't happened yet. And that went on for about two weeks prior to cancer surgery, which was outpatient and I was awake. And I thought, yes, I couldn't believe it. Um, I was so calm, I cannot tell you. I was chatting with the surgeon. I was chatting with the nurses, it took an hour. He called me three days later. He said, we got it all, you're gonna be fine. But I swear to God, I knew the fear and my mind was going to kill me. It really was obvious. So praying for God to heal my thinking 
was what got me through it. And I just wanted to share that piece. I was too crazy to go help someone else yet. But after I got out, I did. Thanks. Uh, what a beautiful share. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I, I God, I can relate so much. It's, um, you know, every fear that I really ever had come back to the fear of God. And I didn't know that. I was afraid of riding in airplanes. And as I started doing fear inventory, I found out I was afraid of crashing in them. And as I dug a little deeper, I seen that I really wasn't afraid of crashing them. I was afraid of dying once I crashed. And based on what I'd learned as a child about God, what happened to me after death was going to be very severe and very ugly. And so as I uncovered all those um, <clears throat> layers of that onion, what I found that I, I was afraid of God. And so I really wasn't afraid of losing another child. What I was afraid of is that I would go permanently insane and die from that. Well, what happens once we die? Well, based on what I'd learned. And it just kept coming back to I'm afraid of God. I'm afraid of God. I'm afraid of God. And so finally, you know, I just put that into action in the fear inventory. And what would he have me be rather than be afraid of him? He would have me trust him. He would have me live the right way. He would have me do this. You know, he would have me, you know be one of the men that I am today. You know, he would have me help others. He would have me do these things so that it would get away from me and closer to him. And the damnedest thing happened. I recovered from that fear. <laughs> it's like, I no longer fear any of those things. I ride all over the country in planes. Now it's, it's great. You know, I don't fear about losing a child anymore. I go spend time with them. I just, um, you know, it's, it's just a wonderful way to live. And I'm so grateful that you shared your experience, Miss Jerry. I hope to see you again. Thank you. Hi, thank you. And thank you, David, so much. Very, very helpful. Um, and I have done the work with uh, an appropriate sponsor and put in a 9, 10, 11, 12 on a daily basis to the best of my ability. And I just want to kind of recount, I was thinking about something that's just recently happened. I mean, just in the last three, three days. And um, my response now, it, it's kind of bringing tears to my eyes, <laughs> which is a good thing. I've, I've figured out it's okay to show emotion better than stuffing them down or drinking them down or whatever. And um, a friend, a program friend of, of 15 years, we both came in a, a program about the same time and um, has had, has struggled with life, living life on life terms, you know, keeping a job, has serious mental health issues, schizophrenic, serious, et cetera. Um, been through a lot, you know, but I, I got a call from her and she had been in jail 28 days and been released, had no money, no place to go the night before she spent on a bench in a park. Um, so, you know, we call it a bottom. She'd hit a bottom. Um, and the old me, first of all, my codependency tendencies, I would have run out there and thrown a bunch of money at it, you know, gotten her hotel room or something. I don't know. That would have been probably the worst thing I could do, actually. But, you know, guess what? This is, this is the miracle of it. I, I prayed and meditated about it. And I asked God what I should be. And God told me to be loving, supporting, you know, leave my, uh, you know, just accepting 100%. You know, what, what I usually get, <laughs> what I usually get when I ask God that and, um, and ask for help, you know, uh, which I, I did those things. And so I was meditating about it and I thought, you know, um, I attend a church and one of the priests, her job, her role and the, there is recovery. That's what she does. 
and she's a wonderful person. I met her before. Um, I I called her, made a call to her. She called me back. She said, well, you know, I know someone on the board of a local um, um, rehab place. And um, let me call them and I'll call you back. So I said, that would be great if we could get in and talk to them, see if, see if we could set up an, an intake interview or whatever. So she called me back. She says, better now. I said, what? She said, oh, I'm going to cry. She said, if you will have her there at seven o'clock tonight, we will get her in. And she can stay there up to 28 days in the facility. She doesn't even have to have insurance. Now, if that's not God, that's not me. None of that was me. I mean, other than asking and trying my best to with, use his power to, to follow through on what, what he told me to do. And so I took her over there. She's admitted she's there. That was yesterday. And, you know, just totally different. I would have, I kind of would have freaked out and just done all the wrong things. And I didn't. And that's God. That is this and this program. Because until I had that spiritual awakening, did, did that four step, did all the steps, four step, spiritual awakening, psychic change. My mind has been changed. I look at things differently and I ask for help from God. And then usually sometimes God will tell me to to ask others, you know, the God would get on. Um, my sister called it that too, Terry. Um, so thank you for letting me share. Appreciate it. And I so appreciate the workshop and everybody share. I just want to say thank you, Miss Edith, for what a, a beautiful share. I love what you said. What would God have me be? And you went through that list. And that's exactly what this book asks us to take a look at. You know, be loving, be prayerful, be thankful, be this, be that. You know, I never looked at any of that. Uh, it was always, for me, I always read that as what would he have me do. God, every time I go to doing something, it's it's not, I got, I got to recognize who's doing the doing. It's not spirit itself, so. Thank you. This has been amazing. Um, I've done this process with the fear inventory for a short amount of time, and I've already noticed a big difference. Um, like I have a, I have a son who has a, tons of medical issues and I live in fear of like most days and the way that David was talking about, and especially with the thank you prayers on the fourth column, I'm more present, I'm more at peace and I'm more content and I'm just starting it. And this has just been, been amazing. So I just want to say, thank you. Thank you so much, Beth, for sharing that. It's, uh, you know, it, it's very easy to get, get afraid in these areas and in the moment, not know what to do and then do something, think, oh, my God, I wish I'd have done something different. But by following these outlines, as, as it's in our book, you know, if we will do these things, it promises that we will have a new attitude, a new relationship with our creator. And these are the things that I'm looking for. I'm not looking to just be sober. Hell, if I want to just be sober, don't drink. You know, you hear it all the time. Don't drink, go to meeting. That's dangerous for a guy like me. But by taking and just doing the simple things that's outlined there and adding thank you to the end of those, oh my God, it's changed my life too. It just has changed tremendously. And as we look at some further workshops, you know, with the, with the traditions and the fellowship of the spirit in different parts of step four and other steps, it's just, you know, we'll be adding all of that into it and looking at different literature as we did here tonight as well. And I just hope you guys will come back again and um, 
just keep growing. So thank you. Thank you, everyone. Appreciate it.